Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group, three-time recipient to the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We are located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We're in that great big beautiful town bank building. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building, which is across the street from Winkies. And we're also now able to service our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. And we would welcome you to give us a call. We are doing um, our meetings with our clients and with our new clients many times by Zoom on a limited basis coming into the office. And we really want everyone to be well, but we also know that there is an importance with people really understanding their finances and looking for direction. My guest today is Mike Roth, and Mike has been on the radio doing it a couple times a year since 2002. That's 18 years, Mike. You've been, uh, you've been helping me with Money Sense and guiding our listeners as to your view and point of view of what's going on. And so when I think about the last 18 years, we've really been up and down and around. <laughs> and one of the things we always talk about when you're on, and I, I do want to say that um, Mike is the founding principal of Stark Investments right here in Milwaukee. And Mike, we always talk about how the heck did we get here? <laughs> well, it's and nothing changes. In 20 years, the uh, the roller coaster goes up and down, and uh, here we are again. Uh, and in terms of how we got here and what's going on, it's it's obviously fascinating. And um, I'm sure many of your listeners have been uh, watching what's been going on with the elections. Um, and this is not a political show, so we're we're not going to uh, try to get too much into the politics of it. But the reality is is that politics drives policy and policy drives the market. And that's what we're seeing right now. So uh, first we'll start by just talking, as you said, you know, how, how did we get here? What were the events leading up to the election? And quite simply, the market, as usual, uh, had, had tried to price in outcomes. And in this particular case, there was a great deal of uncertainty, um, maybe not from the pollsters, uh, because the pollsters seemed pretty certain that this was going to be a, um, um, a big Democratic victory for the White House. I think they were, they were thought more and more they were starting to build the case that this was going to be a blue wave, that the Democrats were going to take the White House, the Senate, and, of course, maintain control of the House. Uh, and so as much as there were different scenarios, and, of course, Wall Street has a wonderful ability to be bullish about every scenario. So there was no there was no sort of bear scenario. Um, it was all sort of well if it if it goes this way and the Democrats sweep that's bullish for these reasons and if the Republicans keep the Senate it's bullish for these reasons and if Trump wins it's bullish. So more and more though, despite that sort of dispersion of outcomes, uh, the street I would say going into the end of October more and more began to believe this was going to be a blue wave. So the Democrats were going to take the Senate, take the White House, and maintain control of the House. 
And you began to see trading ten, uh, trending that way. And in particular, there was the so-called reflation trade. That, that was a, a term being thrown around. But what it really meant was, boy, if the Democrats get uh, control of all uh, of that, we're going to see a huge stimulus, a gigantic stimulus. Uh, they're going to bail out all the, um, all the Democratic cities. And, and they're going to um, essentially put this huge impulse of money through the system. And that's incredibly bullish. So you began seeing people uh, trade accordingly. So what that meant was you began seeing money coming out of some of the very uh, pricey, high-tech names, but still going into growth names, quote-unquote growth names more generally, because the reflation trade meant we're going to get growth in the economy because of the, of the fiscal stimulus. Uh, essentially, Congress just spending money. Um, in addition, you began seeing people worrying, well, uh, if that's going to happen, you know, yes, they're going to raise taxes, but ultimately they're going to have to issue a lot of debt. So you began seeing bonds getting sold. People were worried that, wow, they're going to issue all this debt. I should sell bonds, buy growth stocks. And that was the rotation that was going on coming into the beginning of November. And then, of course, we have the, uh, the election. And um, it's, it's a three-act play, of course. Act one was the actual vote. Uh, act two is what we're going through right now, where they're having uh, the mail-ins come in, and uh, it's, it's taking longer and longer because there's so many um, uh, votes that were mailed in, and they're going to take time to, to count those. But then Act 3, of course, is going to be all the court challenges, and that's just starting to, to rev up. Because given the uh, small margins of victory in many of these states, uh, there's going to be a microscope put on any sort of irregularities, let's put it that way, in the voting process. And uh, so the court challenges could go on for some time. But the, the initial vote was essentially, a, 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 I think, a bit of a surprise. I think people felt the Democrats were going to perform better. As it turned out, it, and, and this is still tentative because it's not all finalized, there's still some uh, seats that are still uh, uh, being counted. But it looks right now, as the consensus is, uh, the Republicans are going to retain the Senate. Uh, the Democrats are going to, of course, retain the House, which was expected, although I think the surprise there was that the Democrats really underperformed. I think the expectation was they were going to add seats. Uh, and now it looks uh, like they're going to lose seats. So their margin for uh, policymaking and maneuvering will be actually smaller. And then as uh, uh, everyone knows right now, it's still uncertain, uh, but you'd say the expectation is, is that absent some sort of um, um, uh, action through the courts, Biden will win the presidency. So the, the market, beginning yesterday and continuing today, um, has essentially now accepted that as the scenario um, and immediately said, well, this is bullish. <laughs> Right. Even though it's not the, the bullish scenario we were expecting, well, this is bullish, too. And, okay, we're not going to get the big stimulus, so the reflationary trade actually was the wrong trade. But we don't have to worry about tax increases because the Republicans in the Senate are, if anything, going to become more fiscally prudent. Uh, two, 
We don't have to worry about re-regulation, so that's good for business because we were certainly worried that the Democrats were going to start to put a lot more regulation on business. Uh, three, well, I guess the uh, flip side of not getting our big stimulus is we're not going to have to worry about a gigantic amount of debt being issued and potential inflation, so that's good. So you can sort of see how the market began is instantly, on, on, on just a, a dime, switched to thinking that this is all great news right now. So the trading you saw yesterday where the market exploded up was a surprise in the sense that usually, given the uh, court challenges that were coming and the uncertainty over the vote counting, usually that's considered to be um, uh, a negative for the market. market doesn't like uncertainty. And it looked like coming in yesterday morning, it's like, wow, we've got a ton of uncertainty. You know there's going to be court challenges. They could drag on for, for quite some time, weeks. And you'd think the market would at, at worst or, or best be neutral. And at worst, perhaps, I think people were predicting the market could be down 10 20% in that kind of scenario. Nope. The market, <laughs> market was bullish. And I think the predominant thought was this is sort of a reversion to the way the market usually acts. The market usually thinks that gridlock is, is good because the less interference they get from Washington, the better. So they sort of defaulted to that old mindset. Gridlock is good. Um, okay, we're not getting the, the big blue wave stimulus, but as I said, we have these other pluses now. No taxes, um, no regulation, uh, no huge uh, debt issuance. So you saw trading accordingly. Money poured back into the high-velocity tech names. Um, it, it came out of value. So you'd seen uh, small caps performing well coming into the election. Money came out of value, went back into the high-tech growth names. Uh, growth in general did well, although I think there was a bit of a rotation out of growth generally, growth, growthy type names, and into, again, the high performers. Uh, bonds were, were also bid, which you might say is surprising. Well, if everyone's so bullish, why would they also be buying bonds? Because there are a certain sector of investors who are still nervous. <laughs> These are the investors who said, <laughs> okay, I know you guys are really bullish, but I'm still nervous that we have weeks of uncertainty potentially. So that's why you're seeing this unusual scenario where everything is bid. Bonds are being bid because it's a safe haven, given the uncertainty. And equities are being bid both yesterday and today because you have people now who um, are essentially, as I said, uh, feeling good about the whole gridlock scenario. And also you have people who um, initially had been worried about some sort of a bad outcome who had put on hedges and who had shorted stocks in, in, the, in the idea that, boy, if, if this doesn't go well, market's going to be off. Well, now they're unwinding all of that, and they're saying, boy, I was wrong, uh, and now I need to get back into the game. So you have these people scrambling to unwind their, their short positions and essentially get uh, uh, into the market. So you put all that together, and you have the uh, performance we've seen over the last two days, which is this huge sort of bullish explosion in the market. Uh, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how uh, that continues or whether it continues in the subsequent days and weeks to come, because as much as we're going to hear, I'm sure um, uh, the Democrats will be declaring victory for the White House, 
And uh, the Trump administration will be saying, not so fast. Uh, we think there was a lot of, uh, to use Joe's terms, malarkey going on <laughs> in some of these, uh, in some of these uh, vote counting situations. And uh, it's going to get thrown to the courts. Now, the courts traditionally hate this. They do not want to get in the middle of politics if they can possibly avoid it. On the other hand, it's going to be very difficult for them to ignore uh, actual fraud. If, if the Republicans can show evidence that there was actual fraud, well, then the courts are going to have to do something about it. And so you're looking at a scenario uh, which might be a multiple of the 2000 scenario, which everyone probably would like to forget, but there we had Florida having a, a similar situation where there were issues around the, the voting. And of course, there were, there were weeks of litigation and hanging chads. I think that was the, the big phrase that everyone remembers coming out of that experience. And ultimately, it was up to the Supreme Court to decide and, and in a way, although they would like to uh, forget it, uh, determine the election. So whether it goes to that extent or not is unknown, but that's the big uncertainty. So we could still be several weeks out from knowing uh, with certainty uh, that uh, uh, one person or the other um, uh, has the White House. We'll probably also um, at least have uh, some more time before we know with certainty where all the Senate uh, races are. But I think people now have a pretty good feel for those. And it's unlikely we're going to see um, a scenario where the Democrats take the Senate. So that's why the market has convinced itself we're in the gridlock mode. And as I said before, for multiple reasons, that's a good thing. And the one thing, and I don't remember, I was just trying to look it up, is that this isn't the first time that our country's been in this situation with a gridlock between um, a, a current president and a candidate. And it was, it was many, many years ago. But the, the good news was we get through all these things. I mean, we do get through it. it. It looks ominous and it looks difficult. But our country has been through these types of situations. This isn't the first time. Well, exactly. And, and not to minimize the difference between having a Democrat versus a Republican in the White House, um, there will be differences. There will be differences when it comes to things like trade. I think the anticipation is, is that uh, if Biden uh, becomes president, um, uh, trade will become freer um, and some of the tariffs might be lifted. Uh, you might view that as good or bad, but, but that's likely to promote um, uh, trade. Um, and there are obviously a whole host of social and other type issues um, which uh, will go one way or the other depending upon who's sitting in, in the White House. But I think the big uh, consideration here is the fact that the legislative agenda that the Democrats had been contemplating, which uh, involved a lot of spending and a lot of taxing to pay for it, uh, and I don't mean that as a political statement, but it's a fact. I mean, they, they have a laundry list of things they wanted to uh, tackle, um, and uh, that's likely not going to happen now. Because if anything, as I said, I think you're going to see the Republicans, particularly if, if Trump is not in the White House, they're going to feel like they now can dig in and, and really start beating the drum on fiscal prudence. Mm -hmm. So as a result, um, you're going to have a, sort of a replay of some of the Obama years. Obama wanted to get done simply uh, weren't getting done because the Republicans resisted it. Um, and, and that, as I said, Wall Street in essence has said, okay, all things being considered, um, the, the uh, status quo, 
which is sort of what we're going to get in a gridlock scenario with a Senate uh, in Republican hands, is not such a bad thing. You know, Mike, we're going we're gonna to take a quick break and let's take a look at where we are in terms of the epidemic and some of the impact that that has had on businesses. You know, many of the companies that people are um, putting their money into, of course, are large corporations and some are smaller, of course, a small cap. But we've got so many businesses right here in Wisconsin and Milwaukee that are not going to make it. And what is the impact of COVID and the change and the new reality, you know, what is that gonna be looking like? And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Mike Roth, and he is the founding principal of Stark Investments, which is located right here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I, I just marvel, Mike, I still can remember you and I sitting down and talking about the radio show. And when I look back, that was 18 years ago, 2002. It's absolutely amazing. And every time you're on the show, you have this, this quality about yourself, this knack to really be able to talk to people um, in a way that people can hear. And we always get so many comments on your radio show. So thank you again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us about, you know, how you see things unfolding. And of course, we've been through this pandemic now for such a very long time. I mean, three quarters of a year. And I know that I have, I know more businesses that have gone out than I know people who have been sick from the pandemic. I mean, I know situations and how hard it's been. How do you see that impacting our economy and how we're going to be moving forward? Because they're already talking about maybe closing down businesses again. Well, Karen, that is the question, and, and you were right to highlight it because um, obviously this has been a grinding experience now, uh, and unfortunately uh, there's really no end in sight. Um, the, the big question is, of course, all right, we've had, I don't know, it, which wave is this? Is this a second wave? It's hard to keep track. <laughs> Um, all, all we know is that not only in our country, but around the world, uh, you've had another resurgence of cases. Now, this, this is an um, area that is uh, fraught with landmines because obviously uh, it's, it's taken on political overtones as to uh, what the reaction to that should be. And uh, you, you've seen essentially, um, I'd say, there's a, been sort of a mainstream political response to it, which has been a lockdown response. And that has been the response that uh, began in China and has, I think, been predominant around the globe, with some exceptions. Um, some of the Nordic countries, Sweden, I think, in particular, uh, did not go into a lockdown, and they've done well, but um, that's Sweden for, for whatever it's worth. I would say that the big question now, of course, is that um, – do we continue to have a COVID issue? Answer, yes, because it's a respiratory type illness um, like, the, like the seasonal flu. We've never been able to stop the seasonal flu and we're not gonna stop COVID either. So uh, I think the idea that somehow we're gonna have another wave and then it's over, I don't think that's happening. Uh, 
I think you can expect that we're going to have, however you want to define it, you want to call it another wave, you just want to have, uh, call it uh, more cases, but I think you can count on that. Then the question is, well, what's the policy response to that, that reality? Uh, is it more lockdowns? And that's, that's a good question. Um, uh, the uh, Biden camp really has, has not given us a lot of detail about what their plan would be, but if you, if you go by what the Democratic, sort of the, the, the Democratic response has been up to this point, it's been really more lockdowns. And the same thing is going on in Europe. In fact, uh, um, the um, uh, UK just closed down. They just locked the whole country up, saying we're going to go into a, a deep lockdown uh, in order to uh, hopefully stamp this out. So if the lockdown mentality uh, continues, then we're going to be right where we are now. And it's going to get worse and worse because to the extent that, obviously, as you said, uh, many businesses have not been able to survive this. It's been catastrophic for them. You have a number of businesses that are hanging on by their fingernails right now and praying that this ends soon because they're just running out of breathing room, uh, however you want to define that. Um, and if the idea is, okay, it's not going to end anytime soon, then the question is, well, if we're going to continue to have lockdowns, then my business is toast because I, I can't survive without uh, having some type of commerce. Um, so that's one question. In, 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 in the, if, if there is either a new administration or if, if Trump prevails, uh, do we continue to have a lockdown policy response? And there are degrees to that, obviously. You can have a lockdown that has more um, freedom to it, or you can have more severity to it, like we're seeing in the UK right now. So that's a variable, and, I, and nobody knows exactly what the, um, what the uh, if, assuming there is a new administration, what their policy response will be. Uh, beyond that, um, we can probably assume we're not going to get a tremendous amount of stimulus. We've already had a lot of stimulus. Um, but with the uh, gridlock Congress and the more frugal uh, Republicans, I think we're going to see uh, less chance of just checks being mailed out to people. Uh, in addition, um, and, and I don't want to disparage the Republicans because they're looking at the debt we've, we've um, latched on in order to do stimulus up to this point. And they're saying, like, wow, this debt thing is starting to get really worrisome. So we have to be much more focused and careful about if we're going to do any stimulus, it has to be a much more um, precision approach to stimulus, not simply just throw money out, but more precise and get more bang for our buck. So I think that you're going to see that kind of discussion. Um, of course, the, the reason why the market is so giddy, uh, among others, of course, is that they just see the, the, the Fed being at zero interest rates forever now. And because if there's not going to be fiscal stimulus, the Fed's going to be stuck with having to keep interest rates low. And um, that's uh, probably what we're going to see going forward. Uh, interest rates will continue to be low. Bad news for savers, because you're not going to get any relief in terms of being able to earn money on your money. Um, but in terms of uh, uh, people who benefit from having low interest rates, uh, housing, mortgages, etc., I think interest rates are going to stay low necessarily because that's the only stimulus we have. Now, the bad news there is that we're already at zero. Right? <laughs> so how much, how much more can you do when you're already at zero interest rates? And so 
the Fed's going to have to begin thinking about other types of, I, I dare say the word, quantitative easing, which is another way of saying the Fed's going to get more creative with trying to pump money into the economy. So I think, I think you're going to see that policy response. You know, my, um, one of the things when you talk about the Fed getting more creative to get more money into um, the markets and the, and the growth portion of our country, one of the things that worries me is yesterday I was driving down Silver Spring, which is a, a very nice shopping area and in Whitefish Bay, and I could not believe the amount of storefronts that were empty. Stores that yeah. I didn't ever think. Out here in Lake Country, we've got two major, um, Ben Franklin and uh, Tobin's that went out that have been around for, you know, 100 years. And um, so there's a lot of people who are very familiar with the market and work with advisors and people who um, can help guide them to invest their money and stay invested. But the more storefronts that end up empty or boarded up or whatnot, the whole psychological impact of people being fearful, even if they have the money to put it in the market. And that's the piece that is worrisome to me as more and more of these businesses close down and people are forced to drive by and witness this. Um, and many of those businesses may have just been barely breathing anyways and this came along, but nobody knows that. I'm worried about the impact, the psychological impact um, as it appears physically for people to see rather than, you know, they don't really have the understanding of the market and how the market works. Well, you're right. Uh, there's nothing like strolling down the street and seeing boarded up uh, uh, storefronts. And whether you're talking about uh, Silver Spring and Whitefish Bay or you're talking about Fifth Avenue in New York, it's the same phenomenon. It's yes. been a retail apocalypse. Um, there are winners and losers. There, there are you know, companies that are winners to this, but it's not your small business. Small right. business has been crushed by this. Yes. That's, that, what is that impact going to have, do you think, on the long range of this whole idea of um, everyone being more creative to get people to buy their products and to put their money, you know, spend money, I basically mean. Well, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think that everyone now is trying to decide, is this, is this going to pass or is this a new reality? And, and yeah. so I'm sure there's a lot of thought going into how you reinvent yourself, uh, but it's, it's not going to be easy. And we haven't talked about, we, in the next segment, we can talk a little bit about what everyone is hoping for, which is a vaccine. Well, you know, um, as we've been sitting down and meeting with our clients through this, through this epidemic and our clients are going, wow, we have so much cash on hand. I can't believe how much money we were spending on going out to dinner on things we didn't need. And, and you know, they've got a huge amount of cash that's accumulated because they had nowhere to spend it. And also so many people we've talked to are not going to go back to the traditional shopping. They've gotten used to buying groceries and doing things online. So I think the world as we knew it is going to be very different. That's absolutely correct. You know, so it's it's crazy. When you talk about um, some of the things happening, you talked about the Fed's trying to, um, will keep interest rates low and will try to be more creative. What are some of the other things that they might be able to do? Uh, well, the, the Fed has a number of tools. What it essentially has been doing has been um, uh, buying um, things it doesn't usually buy. 
So the, the Fed usually um, does not get involved in um, um, high-yield bonds, um, and it has, it has a number of different tools. It has tools with regard to the banks. But I think what you're going to see is essentially the mindset of, of, the, of, of the stock market is going to be the Fed will do whatever it needs to do. It will buy whatever it needs to buy in order to keep the thing going. And uh, however that manifests itself in terms of the actual tools, um, I think you're going to see uh, the market just being bulled up with the idea that, yeah, we're going to see the punch bowl here at the party for, for an extended period of time. Well, let's take our second break here, and when we come back, let's talk about the things that you see um, happening, and you did talk about the impact maybe of a vaccine and what that's going to mean to us, and how does this all, I, get, I guess it's hard for people to understand how this always weaves into the stock market and what's happening in the world, and with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. If you would like to go to ellenbecker.com, go to radio shows, and go to Money Sense, uh, Mike's interview will be on our webpage, and you'll be able to share it with other people who would really benefit by getting a, another view as to what Mike Roth perceives has been happening. And of course, I always ask him to bring his crystal ball, so we'll see if he still brings that thing out yet. But, you know, Mike, uh, my guest today is Mike Roth. He is the principal of Stark Investments right here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And earlier you had mentioned a little bit about a vaccine. I mean, is that going to be the cure to everything? Well, that's the big question. <laughs> Obviously, um, that would be nice. Uh, and that would be the, the miracle that, <laughs> returns us back to quote-unquote normal, um, however you want to define that. Um, but I think it's a mistake to count on it. Uh, we obviously have, for many, many years, tried to develop a flu vaccine, and its effectiveness at best has been in the 40 to 60% range, just, just the way the science works. Uh, and uh, this particular uh, bug is, as we know well uh, from being inundated with information about it, a very tricky one. So the idea that they're going to come up with a vaccine that's 100% effective, um, that's a stretch. And I think that obviously you're going to see the market move on news of um, uh, some vaccine showing promise. I mean, you're already seeing that to some degree uh, as they go through the trials uh, and you're going to have some fits and starts. And the best scenario would be, yeah, they eventually come up with something it's going to have some degree of effectiveness, probably not 100%. Um, and then, of course, you have – so even if that occurs, that's good news, okay? It's great. Um, it'll be like the seasonal flu shot. You get it, and you hope. You hope that <laughs> it works for you and that you don't uh, – you, you fall in the 40 to 60% and not in the outliers who end up getting the flu anyway. Um, the other side of it, of course, is that it is a huge political issue around, well, there are some people who aren't going to take the vaccine. And, you know, can you force people to take the vaccine? And that's an interesting issue because, you know, again, you can have a political opinion about it, but it's, it's difficult, it's going to be difficult to mandate people getting a vaccine. Um, 
So we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. But that's just another complication. That's just another complication. Even if they come up with uh, with the uh, silver bullet uh, that that uh, kills this thing. So you take that you 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 take that as okay. That would be good news, but you can't count on it. So so what are we looking at? I think the the reality is, as we said earlier, is that we're going to have to learn to live with this. Uh, it's not going to disappear tomorrow. Even if we have a vaccine, it's not going to disappear tomorrow. In many senses, and I, I didn't give you a good answer on this before, but it is accelerated trends that we're already forming. We've already seen a trend where brick and mortar was struggling versus um, shopping online. And you're right. I mean, people who maybe for a variety of reasons uh, had not gone through the online shopping experience now have done it. They were forced to do it for a variety of reasons. And to the extent they decide, you know what, this is better, well, it can accelerate that trend. Um, you know, people who like the idea that they can order their groceries and have them delivered or order them and go pick them up or just simply buy everything online and, and not have to deal with uh, uh, stores or parking or any of that, um, that becomes a learned behavior. Um, just like we're seeing um, a huge uh, uptick in um, wine and spirit business, you know, that's, that's, I don't know if it's good or not, but, you know, again, pe people are developing new habits. Um, and, and so you, you will see a different world. I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that um, it's going to be completely changed and that we're never going to go back to work and we're never going to go back to offices. I think that's, I personally think that's too extreme. I think there are some people who, and some businesses who may discover that, yeah, the work-from-home thing does work for us, maybe works better. But I think there's still um, a human element to uh, business uh, and to what we do and to being able to interact face-to-face -face as a social element that's desirable. So that's why I personally am not a big buyer of the it's gone forever and, you know, welcome to the brave new world. But it will be different. There will be changes. And unfortunately, as, as you pointed out, um, there are many businesses that are never coming back. Uh, and they may not be coming back for structural reasons because of, as we said, the Internet and, and online shopping. Or more personally, it's just the catastrophic loss of your business. Right? You just weren't able to survive. And even if the world comes back, you're not coming back. And that's just tragedy. It's tragic. Uh, but we're going to see some of that. Obviously, and everyone knows this, the restaurant industry is just getting pummeled. Um, and the lockdowns and the wave of changes, okay, now you can be at 50%. Nah, sorry, now it's going to be back to 25%. And uh, all of that, it's just been devastating, obviously, to that, to that business. And yeah, some I think we'll see a lot of mer mergers and acquisitions and um, things like that and consolidation. Will that stimulate maybe consolidation of businesses or more cooperation between businesses to survive? That's a great question, um, and you're, you're spot on. There will be consolidation. We've already seen consolidation um, because inevitably, um, whether it's through a liquidation and somebody's just buying the assets or whether it's by a combination of businesses, um, and, of course, you also have predatory activity. You have people who are acquirers who, who see people who are uh, struggling, and they're going to swoop in and say, you know, we, we're prepared to do a deal. And uh, a lot of people who are struggling may say, you know what, 
I, I'm not sure if I can make it or not, so I'm going to do that deal, which I would not have done uh, in better circumstances. So yes, you will absolutely see um, acquisitions, combinations, um, bigger, uh, big get bigger, um, that type of activity. Um, but there's also, as I said, at a more personal level, there's some people who just won't survive this, and it's going to be small businesses, unfortunately. Yeah, that really, it really does um, make me sad to even think about that because small businesses are such at the heart of our country. But what I'm seeing happening is people are being very innovative and new businesses are starting and they're picking up on trends that they're seeing, things that are missing. And I guess that's just sort of the evolution of business overall. Well, true. And it's the, it's the old uh, saying about uh, every crisis brings opportunity. And that's what happens. So it's, it's a, one person's tragedy is another person's opportunity. So you're right. Will there be restaurants? Yes, there will be restaurants. <laughs> uh, and um, maybe not the restaurants you used to go to, um, but there, there will be a restaurant business. Um, and uh, there still will be brick and mortar, but I think you're going to see an, an evolution there. And we'll see what happens with the whole mall concept because commercial real estate right now is in a very, very bad place for obvious reasons. Um, and there are all kinds of issues in terms of um, um, sort of real estate, uh, uh, renters, you know, you're going to have people uh, defaulting, people are already behind on their rent. So there's, there's lots of uncertainty as to how it's all going to play out. And there's sort of a, a function here of how quickly can we find um, something to help get us past this or change our policy response. Um, and as I said, I'm, I'm not qualified to give all the answers to that clearly because I'm not a, a medical expert. But even the medical experts, um, I, I think, have to appreciate that there's more here than simply crushing the cases. It can't simply be, we, we've got to be to zero cases before we can carry on with our lives. And now I'm, I'm I hopefully not <laughs> making too much of a political statement, but you know, I think there has to be a balance here between um, uh, the medical response and the economic reality. Yes. Uh, and we, we can't afford to have people who are essentially uh, put at risk for economic reasons um, to crush every last COVID case. There, there's a middle ground there and it's up to the policymakers to find it. Mike, we're gonna take a quick break. And one of the things that we haven't really discussed and you talked about the UK being closed down and other countries, you know, travel's a big part of people's lives, but it's also a big part of the economy for so many places. When we come back from our break, can we talk a little bit about that? And then also, you know, a lot of people are wondering, what do I do? You know, do I get in the market? Do I get out of the market? Um, what does that look like? And earlier when you started out in the very first segment, you said that um, the markets have been like a roller coaster. And I always like to say that, um, yes, they are like a roller coaster, but nobody gets off the roller coaster when it's moving. You wait until you get off. And, um, and then a lot of people get right back on. So I think <laughs> if, we can, if we can talk about that a little bit, that would be great. And with that, we'll be right back.
Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is Mike Roth. He is the founding principal of Stark Investments. And I gave you a great big plate to talk about. Mike, you only have five minutes, so I'm going to let you run. <laughs> well, um, uh, travel uh, as a sort of subset of all these issues obviously has, has been pummeled uh, very badly. Uh, and as, as fortunately, uh, there's nowhere to go to because it's the same everywhere. So it doesn't really pay to uh, wear a mask for two hours on a plane only to get off and find you can't go to restaurants anyway <laughs> in the new place. Um, but again, it's, it's the same thing we talked about before. Um, depending upon the medical progress with some sort of vaccine, depending upon the policy response with how draconian the lockdowns are, you will see people starting to travel again. Um, and right now there's still, there are some people who won't travel because they're still um, freaked out over the risk. There's some people who won't travel because they can't bear the thought of wearing a mask for a couple hours on a plane um, and everything in between. But over time, it will come back because again, we are uh, people who want to move. They, they want to go do things. They want to go on vacation. They want to have experiences. And that's a very strong impulse. And on the, on the business side, yeah, these Zoom things are fine, but there's a reason why, and, and this is not new. I mean, we've had the, the ability to do video conferencing for years, but there's a reason why you don't do video conferencing. In business, there's an element of personal interaction that no video conferencing is going to replace. There's nothing like sitting across from a person, as you know well, because this is your business, and, and that person's taking your measure, and you're taking their measure. And there's, there's an interaction there that you just cannot replace that's invaluable. So I think it's all coming back if people can get the confidence that it's safe and it, it doesn't involve um, you know, extraordinary uh, efforts and mechanics to be able to do it. So that's, that's the travel piece. But when that happens, I have no idea. I hope it happens soon because you know, I've got cabin fever like everybody else. In terms of what people should do, um, it's, it's always a tricky thing because you're, you're bound to be wrong because you say, well, do this or do that, and then the market does a swerve on you, or events overtake the market and it doesn't work out the way you think. But the very fact that it's unpredictable and there is no crystal ball, I think that um, you have to sort of look at the bigger picture here. And the bigger picture here is that it's hard to say exactly um, how things are going to work out for business, but the market isn't isn't stupid here. The market is saying essentially, we still think the conditions, the probabilities are in our favor. We're going to have a very positive interest rate environment. We're going to have um, more uh, of a likelihood of uh, being able to continue doing what we're doing, which maybe hasn't been great, but it's probably not going to get worse from here. That, that's sort of what the market's saying. And uh, if you're looking at it just from a business standpoint, it doesn't look like corporate taxes are going up. Um, it doesn't look like we're going to get regulated uh, in some extreme fashion. Those are all pluses. So essentially the market is saying, not irrationally, that you know, we think the wind's still at our back here. Um, now what that means for any given stock or any given industry or anything else, that's, that's a whole other matter. But in general... Um, you know, to the extent that um, uh, people are concerned, boy, could the market go down from here? Well, yeah, we can all come up with a set of circumstances where it could. Um, but you, you sort of have to be in the game, as you said. Um, and so 
What is the saying? You can't win the race if you're not in it? Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and I don't want to just be a shill for, for having market exposure, but I think you need to be invested. And having said that, though, you can't just put it on autopilot. You can't just, you know, that, <laughs> that's where somebody make a mistake. Well, Mike Ross said you should be invested, so I'm putting my money in. Well, and look what happened. And <laughs> so you, you, I would suggest that you need to be invested, but you have to keep your head, head on a swivel. You have to be sort of conscious of it. And not to the point, nobody wants to obsess over every tick of their stocks and watch it every day, but you have to be somewhat aware of what's going on and, and change your, your course if a course correction is necessitated by events. It's sort of, yeah, I think you have to be in the game, but at the same time, you have to pay attention to what's going on because there could come a point where you need to get out of the game and there could come a point where maybe you need to add even more to the game. Right. And that's going to depend upon events that we can't foresee. You know, Julie always says the only thing that you can set and forget is a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you've got to, you know, you've got to be looking at your portfolio and evaluating where you are, um, both in your own personal life, but what's going on in, in the market. And I think, Mike, one of the things we've always talked about is owning quality, knowing what your strategy is, knowing, asking what's going to happen in an up market, what's going to happen in a down market. So you can assess the risk that you're willing to assume. And um, that just means sitting down and being actively participating with your investment advisor or with your investments. I'll put. Mike, thank you again. I hope that you'll come back after the first of the year and we'll give this a little bit of time to see exactly what's happening, but that would be really great and have a great holiday season yourself. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and your financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. You have a great weekend. Bye-bye.